this morning we're going to look at Romans chapter 11. Um, a couple of things about this chapter. The context, when you come to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, the context, the context is primarily Israel. And chapter 11 itself is probably the number one chapter. Um, it, it's in chapter 11... Israel is mentioned more or referenced to in this chapter really than almost any other chapter, I think any other chapter in the New Testament, if not the Bible. It, over 50-some times, Israel in this chapter is mentioned or referenced. And uh, we're going to look here, keeping that in mind. But if you would start with me in Romans chapter 11, and we'll start in verse 25. The scripture here says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now notice that blindness that's, that's going on in Israel, it's not all of Israel. There are Messianic Jews. There are Jews that do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah, but in part they're blind. But that only, will only be until we know the rapture of the church, the rapture of believers. When we go up out of here, and that will be the fullness of the Gentiles that will be brought in. Verse 26 then, the thought continues, And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. What is that talking about? Well, some of you in the, of what does the Bible say about prophecy through the Wednesday night Bible study, you guys have looked at some of those texts. And there's a chance we might get to look at that more tonight. But we're going to focus on verses 28 and 29 for this morning. It says here concerning Israel, As concerning the gospel, they, the Jews, are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts in calling of God are without repentance. Now, you know, I spent uh, four and a half years in Bible college, in Christian college, and I remember thinking, man, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And um, I remember primarily thinking, you know, the, of the call to preach and thinking, man, God's called me to preach and that call is going to be on my life forever. But it's amazing when you study the Bible in, in, in context and you leave verses where they're supposed to be, just how amazing God's truth is. And so we're going to look at this this morning. Let's pray together, though, uh, before we begin. And uh, we'll pray for a pastor as he's preaching there over in Indiana. And uh, we're going to continue to pray for, uh, pray for um, uh, Dan and Kathy Nicholson um, with some things going on in their lives right now and, and Beth with uh, her mom for this morning. So let's go to God in prayer for those things. Lord, we just uh, bow our hearts before you and thank you, God, that you are a mighty God and that you are in control. And Lord, I pray and ask that you would help these families that were mentioned this morning. Uh, thank you for our pastor, and uh, I just pray, God, that you would use this day and, and this week to be a special week in the life of uh, Green, Greenwood, in the life of Northern Park Baptist Church there in Greenwood. Um, I pray that there, those believers would be strengthened and encouraged with our Baptist principles and have more of a love for you, more of a love for your word, and we just ask that you'd help him as he preaches this morning and help those hearers, Lord, to receive your word with an open heart and an open mind and uh, to be ready to receive the truth. And Lord, we ask this morning for your help, your blessing. I pray, God, that you would meet with us this morning and that you'd speak to our hearts, help us to hear your truth, help us, God, to, to think on these things and to be mindful of it and help us to better serve you this week. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Um, God, that you would die for us on a cross 
and rise from the dead for our salvation. We just thank you and give you the praise for who you are this morning. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. In Romans chapter 11, starting with verse 28, the scripture says, As concerning the gospel, they, Israel, are enemies for your sakes. Those that try to give the gospel today to the Jews, let me ask you, how well is that received? If we wanted to go, Nick Arling, we wanted to go take a, a trip to Israel, to the Middle East, and we went into the synagogue and opened up Isaiah 53 and started preaching Jesus to them, like Philip, you know, in the Ethiopian eunuch. How well would that go over this morning? <laughs> you know, now there are Jews that have placed their faith and trust in Christ. We're going to see here in a moment, God has a remnant. He's in control. There are Messianic Jews. There are those that, who do believe in Christ as their Savior. But, man, there's so many of them that are blindness because they've made the choice to reject the Lord as their Messiah. And so the Scripture actually identifies them as, as enemies of the gospel. Let's look at the New Testament church, the early New Testament church here. Uh, follow with me in Acts chapter 1. And let's look at a couple of the responses of Israel to the, the gospel very early in the, New, in the New Testament church age. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, the scripture says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. So, if you remember the preceding chapter, Stephen had been stoned. That's what they thought of the gospel. And here it says um, that the church was persecuted and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. We know that when that persecution came in, it scattered believers. God was able to use something evil, that persecution, to spread the gospel. And so God actually says, they're enemies of the gospel for your sakes. Because He wanted to spread the gospel and was going to use that animosity toward the gospel to help spread it, to scatter these believing Jews. Then look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 20. Acts chapter 9 and verse 20. Paul, we know his miraculous conversion here happens early in the chapter, in chapter 9. And so right after he gets saved, uh, right after he uh, believes on the Lord, verse 20 says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed, and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which had called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their, um, but their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket." I'm glad I've never been let out the wall, <laughs> out the window of a church because people didn't like the message. That's what those Jews that did not believe, they hated Paul and were willing to kill him. There were some in, in a different part of the book of Acts that took a vow that, if I remember right, they weren't going to eat. They were not going to eat, sleep till he was killed. That's the way the Jews that didn't believe responded to the gospel. 
then look also with me at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 1. Now when, uh, verse 1, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three days, three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed, and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a, a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go enemies of the gospel. These Jews that did not believe in Christ were set to destroy the gospel. Then look at verse number 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also, and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. So these Jews from Thessalonica, it wasn't enough to just get Paul out of their city. They started following him. And these weren't, you know... Um, Oh, what is it? A groupie. Is that what follows a band? Yeah. They weren't, these weren't groupies following Paul. Like, hey, I can't wait to hear him again. Maybe he'll jump out the window this time instead of doing the basket thing. These were enemies of the gospel because they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they, they cast off the truth of the gospel. So we know today that if you wanted to go to Israel and, and, and talk to the Jews about humanitarian things and about how America will, would, you know, we, we want to back them and they would be all about that. But if you were to open the scriptures and allege that Christ is the Messiah, there would be a, a very different reaction, a very different response to that truth. So back in our text here, if you would look at Romans chapter 11 and verse number 28, it says, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. Now, it's amazing. This verse absolutely destroys the idea of Calvinism. It destroys the idea that people can be elect, that God's, you know, elects Nick and he's going to heaven and uh, didn't elect Christine, sorry, you're going to hell. How can somebody be elect and yet an enemy of the gospel? How, how can that even be possible? Because they're a Jew that didn't receive Christ. Look at this. Uh, where, is, where does it say that Israel is the elect? Uh, look at Isaiah 45 and verse 4. Isaiah 45 and verse 4. 
God has a people that though they have rejected Him, they are still beloved for the Father's sakes. So concerning the gospel, they are enemies, but concerning the election, they are beloved. Look at Isaiah 45 and verse 4. Uh, we'll start in verse 3, 45, 3. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine, what? Elect. Israel mine elect. I have eaten, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. Israel, as a, nas- as a nation, as a people, is elect of God. So today you can have Jews that do not believe Christ in Christ as the Messiah, and they can be enemies of the gospel. And God says, that's mine elect. That's mine elect. They are beloved for the Father's sakes. Now, what's very interesting, um, go ahead and look back with me at Romans chapter 11. And there's a very interesting question that is asked. The Holy Spirit brings this up because it's a question that many of us would ask. Romans chapter 11 and verse number 1 says this, I say then, hath God cast away His people? Hath God cast away His people? Now, Israel is beloved. They're elect of God. Why in the world would God cast them away? Why would God throw them away? What would cause somebody to ask God, Hey God, are you, just, are you done with those people? What's amazing, in these chapters, there are a couple of examples given to us that might arouse that question in our minds to say, God, are you just through with those people? Look at chapter 10 and verse number 21. Romans chapter 10, verse 21. But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Wow. Wow. You have a people that are elect of God. They're beloved. But as you look through the Old Testament, how did they treat God as that nation, as the elect people of God? How did they? They were a disobedient and gainsaying people. How long? Come down here. How, you guys are, uh, you guys will know this one. How long did it take the children of Israel to set up an idol after God came down, or after Moses came down off the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. Before he got down off the mountain. Yes, you're right. <laughs> yeah, before Moses comes down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, Aaron's going, all right, guys, uh, earrings. Everybody give up their earrings. Here we go. They, they, if you remember, it, it, the Bible says they break them off, which, you know, man, like, can we take them out? No, they go around, they're breaking off the earrings out of their sons' and their daughters' ears. And they melt that down and... As Aaron explains it to Moses, when Moses asks, what are you doing? How did this calf get there? I love Aaron's response. Uh, we threw in this gold and out came this calf. <laughs> Ain't never seen nothing like it. <laughs> like we did, Think of that. They had to fashion a mold for that calf. Somebody fashioned that. Somebody put art and design and time into that. Now, if I'd have been in charge of that, it would have come out looking like the beast with seven heads and ten horns and stuff, you know. But here, Aaron throws this in. It comes out. Uh, we, this calf, it just happened. 
And if you remember, God was ready to wipe out the nation of Israel, and, and Moses pleaded with God and asked him not to wipe out his people. And, and, he, and if you remember, he, he said, God, if you wipe these people out, they're going to think that you weren't strong enough. The Egyptians will see that, that you were strong enough to bring them out of Egypt, but not strong enough to carry them through. And, and uh, we know that God doesn't wipe out his people. But he didn't get off the mount before they were disobedient worshiping and serving false gods. What about gainsaying? Uh, I do want to take the, the time to look here. In Jude, uh, don't uh, look... Um, thought I had it somewhere. All right, look at Jude. Sorry, look at Jude. There's a reference here that we need to get, and then we'll go back and look at... Uh, helps if I turn the page. Jude. Now I know why Pastor cuts his in half. You just flip to the next one. Jude and verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Now, if you remember, our scripture says in Romans 11, he says they were disobedient and a gainsaying people. What is gainsaying? And I thought, I thought gainsaying would be they said things for gain. This is very interesting. This is this gainsaying of Korah. Uh, look back with me at Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. If you remember, uh, Moses, through the power of God, led these people, uh, led the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery and bondage. And the Israelites get into the wilderness and they're wandering around and they start to lose morale pretty quickly. Numbers chapter 16. And this is one of the most heated rebellions that comes against Moses' leadership that we have recorded here in the Old Testament. Uh, Numbers chapter 16 and verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Ezar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. All right, so you got Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They go and they take men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. They went, they went and got the important people. Men of renown. We're going to show Moses. He's just not all that he thinks he is. Verse 3, And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. So the rebellion, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, go to Moses and Aaron and say, Who put you in charge? Um, God did, thank you. But... It says in verse 4, And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face, and he spake unto Korah and to all his company. It's amazing the humility of Moses. Instead of just going and slapping this guy, he, he falls on his face because he knows that if these people continue in this rebellion, it is not going to go well for them. Verse 5, And he spake unto Korah and to all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy and will cause him to come near unto him. 
Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do. Take you censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that that man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. You take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, ye sons of Levi. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you? And so what Moses is getting ready to do is to remind them of the role that God has given them. He's saying, guys, don't forget. I mean, God's chosen you to do this. Um, it seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the, Lord, uh, before the congregation to minister unto them. And he hath brought thee near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the priesthood also? For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against who, who were they really gathered against? They weren't gathered together against Moses. They were gathered together against the Lord. They were not willing to submit to the authority that God had placed in their lives. So it was against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram and, and the sons of Eliab, which said, Okay, so what is their gain saying? Well, first of all, they say, We will not come up. You see that rebellion? He's saying, all right, you guys want to see who's the leader? Come up tomorrow and uh, we won't be there. That's gainsaying, that rebellious attitude. Then verse 13, is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? You, you brought us out here just to make yourself king. That's gainsaying. That's rebellion. And it's, it was contradictory to the truth. Gainsaying in its definition is um, it is contradicting, denying, or opposing. And you see this. They say, uh, they, they murmur. The Bible says they murmured. They, they said that they uh, thought that Moses came out there to make himself a prince over them. And they said, we will not come out. They will not come up. So you have, God says in Romans 11 that his people were disobedient. And they were a gainsaying people. These are Israel, mine elect. And this is the way that they're treating God and God's leadership. What's another example? Look at back, if you would, back with me. And we might be able to look at it tonight. God, um, look at, uh, God deals with that rebellion by opening the earth, doing something new. Opening the earth and they are swallowed alive down into the pit. There's a chance we might get to look at that more tonight. Um, so it's very interesting. Uh, then look at Romans chapter 11. Back at our text here. Romans 11, 1. The, the question is asked, I say then, hath God cast away His people? Well, why would God cast away His... Why would God be tempted? Or why would God cast away His people? Well, all day long they were disobedient and gainsaying. Look at uh, verse number 2. God hath not cast away His people which He foreknew. What ye not what the Scripture saith of Elias, how He maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have di killed Thy prophets and digged down Thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. That they is not the enemy. It's the children of Israel. We could go back there. We won't take the time to do it. But 1 Kings 19 Elijah's going, God, the pe your people, the Israelites, have digged down thine altars. They have killed thy prophets. Uh, God, it's just me and, and, and me alone. And we know that the Lord says, Elijah, 
I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. There was a remnant that God knew all about and had, uh, had saved. So we've got uh, reason number one that God might cast them off is that they were disobedient. Reason number two is that they were a gainsaying people. Reason number three that he might cast them off is that they killed the prophets of God and destroyed the altar. Um, uh, reason number four, look at Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, um, a cross-reference here, if you don't have it written in your Bible, a good cross-reference for this right here is Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, in the first seven verses, God identifies His people as being a vineyard that He set a hedge of protection about, that He uh, watered and nurtured. And it says here in uh, Mark 12, verse 1, And He began to speak unto them by parables. So this is the Lord speaking. And a certain man planted a vineyard and set an hedge about it, and digged a place for the wine fat, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went to a far country. And at the season he sent to the husbandmen a servant, that he might receive from the husbandmen the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him, and beat him, and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant, and to him they cast, and at him they cast stones, and wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some, and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent unto him all, uh, unto, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen and will give the vineyard unto others. And have ye not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people. For they knew that he had spoken this parable against them. And they left him and went their way. God says, all day long, mine elect, I've, I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and a gainsaying people. And in the Old Testament, we could go time after time where Israel, they loved God, they started worshiping false idols, and God allowed them to go into slavery and judge them for their sin. And over and over again, they go through that cycle, and God says, finally, I'll send them my son. And we know that the Bible says the Word, Jesus Christ, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But He came into His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. And we see here that time after time, Israel as a nation did things that, that you and I, if it was up to us, we would have cast them off. But the Bible says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. What are the gifts that God gave to Israel? Well, it says that they have uh, the oracles of God in Romans chapter 3. He said they gave them the oracles. They had the word of God. Moses had that gift from God, the Ten Commandments, as he came down off Mount Sinai. What other gifts did he give them? If you would, please look with me at Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, God identifies more of the gifts that he gave to Israel. 
Romans chapter 9 and verse 4 it says, Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. These are all amazing gifts that the Israelites had. And those gifts are without repentance. And they had a call of God that is without repentance. They're beloved for the Father's sakes. I love this. You guys have heard Pastor talk about James Knox, and he's been here to preach at the church. Uh, he said this about this text. If 5,000 years of foolishness... You, let, me, let me give it to you this way. You say, all right, that's great. Those are the Jews. How does it, what does that mean to me? He says, if 5,000 years of foolishness was not enough to, to make God cast them off, you will not live long enough to do enough foolish, sinful things for God to break His promise to you and cast you off if you're saved. Look at their disobedience. And we see God's faithfulness. We see God's faithfulness. They're Israel. They're His elect. His gifts and calling of God, His gifts and His calling are without repentance. Um, you know, our belief in eternal security, the fact that we have eternal salvation, we can have faith in that when we see the faithfulness that God has to His people Israel. Let's look at a couple of things concerning the New Testament believer. If the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, are there any gifts or calling for the New Testament believer? Well, John 10, 28, the Lord Jesus Christ says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Eternal life is a gift that you and I have, and the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Not only that, look with me, if you would, at 1 John chapter 5, a verse that many of us will be familiar with. Uh, it's the, one of the key verses at the end as we're giving, sharing the gospel with someone. But the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. You, know, you think about you got Christmas coming up. And what is, what is the list that Santa has? The nice list and the naughty list. All right? Some of you didn't want to say the naughty list because you know that you're on there, right? You got, Santa's got a nice list and a naughty list, right? And it's like, like children are going to act better if you tell them now, you're going to go on Santa's naughty list. <laughs> Guys, has that ever worked? No, pretty much. Pretty much because you know Santa's coming anyway, right? You know, God is not a, a Santa Claus. Like, oh, if you, don't, if, if you go on the naughty list, I'm going to take your salvation away. Look at 1 John chapter 5, and the Scripture here says in verse 11, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You know, there are two kinds of people in this room this morning. Those that have the Son and those that don't have the Son. Do you have the Son? Do you have Jesus Christ in your life? The only way to get Him in your life is to realize that you're a sinner. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's a real payment, there's a real penalty for that. And that is a death in hell, being eternally separated from God forever. But Christ paid that price, paid the price that you and I owe for that sin when He died on the cross. And He rose again the third day to show us that He is God. And we receive this gift by faith. It's not by joining the church. It's not by getting in the baptistry. It's not by putting money in the offering. 
The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And, and, and we know this is, that's a gift that comes without repentance. You know what's amazing to me? Some of us that have been saved for a long period of time, God's never been sorry that He saved you. You know, there was a day when the Bible says that it repented God that He had made man. But there, you, you can't run from God far enough to make God wish that He had never saved your soul. He loves you. That's a gift that He gives without repentance. Uh, that, that's an, uh, we have an amazing God. So the, the gifts of God are without repentance. But what about our calling? We're going to run through some scriptures here. If you would look with me at Hebrews chapter 2. The Bible says that we have a heavenly calling. You know, God has a purpose for your life. Not only if you are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, God's not sorry that He saved you, and you haven't messed up the calling that He has in your life. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Hebrews 2.14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Speaking there of his humanity, the physical, taking that on. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, and to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Guys, we have a heavenly calling. We have a heavenly calling. Not only a heavenly calling, look at Romans chapter 1. Look back at Romans chapter 1. Part of this heavenly calling, you don't have to wait to die and have a bunch of people pray for you and then have some man declare you to be a saint. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 6. Uh, actually, we'll go verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Now, I don't have one of those cool saints. You know, I'm not like St. James, you know, our pastor, he can make fun like that, but like St. Nate, I guess is what I would be. But we're called to be saints. That's a heavenly calling. Not only do we have a heavenly calling, but man, we have a holy calling. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter one and verse nine, the Bible here says, "Who hath saved us? That, that God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus, after God thought about it." Yeah. No, when did God have this grace, this purpose available for us? God designed a purpose for your life before the world began. 
And he has a holy calling for us to be a holy, a separated, set apart from this world, from Satan's world system. We have a holy calling, and that is a calling that comes without repentance. I am so glad that I've not reached a point where I've sinned bad enough that God says, well, don't want you to be holy anymore. Good night. Now, now remember, Pastor preached a, a wonderful message on sowing and reaping. If you missed that, you've got to get a CD. Just come and see me. I'll, I'll make sure you get one. Because there are things that we can mess up in our lives and have consequences to that. But do you realize that, that if you and I, when we sin, that doesn't eliminate God's calling on our lives to be a holy people. Confess the sin, get right with God, and start getting and, and, and uh, see that calling realized in our lives, a holy calling. First um, Peter 2 says it this way, "But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation of peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light." Uh, the kids at the musical uh, last night with the Christian Academy, they had a musical where um, there was a guy that's basically, it was a contemporary play on the prodigal son. And this kid, he got saved, and then he went back out into the world. You know what, guys? I love it in that play that God never, God doesn't reach a point where he's like, well, you're out in darkness, Pfft, might as well just go back into that. Think about how far in darkness a believer can go in sin. And God still says, I have called you out of that. Come out of that. Get out of the darkness. And into, he, He's called you out of His darkness into His marvelous light. That's a calling that goes without repentance. God's not going to get sorry or be repentant that, oh, I can't believe I put, called Him out of the darkness. So I don't care how far in darkness you are. God has called you out of that. Get into the light. Realize that you're in the light and walk that way. The Bible says that, that we ought to walk circumspectly, um, redeeming the time and walk as children of the light. We are not children of the night. We are children of the day, so walk like it. And so we have a heavenly calling. We have a holy calling. But then we have a high calling. Look with me at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ. And look over at verse 12. The Apostle Paul here says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You teenagers, there is nothing higher that you can do with your life than to serve Jesus Christ. You can't have a higher calling. Paul says, I, I don't want to do anything else with my life except serve Jesus Christ because that's a high calling. There's nothing higher. There's nothing more worthy of your life and my life than to serve Jesus Christ. And I don't care how far into darkness you've gotten, that you may go, that call on your life will not be retracted. The Bible says God is a God that has callings and gifts that are without repentance. Teenager, you can't reach a point where God says, oh, well, 
You can't serve me anymore. Now, again, the sowing reaping message. There are things that we can do to mess up in certain areas and, and uh, scripturally that would maybe disqualify us for an area of ministry. But you can still serve Jesus Christ with your life. That is a high calling. Let me ask you, what in your life have you put as a higher calling than serving Jesus Christ? Let's press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Man, I don't know about you, but that helps me to just in my life analyze, you know, and I get to work in ministry, but it helps me to reevaluate what are the things that I'm doing that, that, that take the place of serving Jesus Christ with my life? That's the highest calling we can ever have. And none of us have reached a place where God is done with us and says, no, don't want you to serve me anymore. He has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light and called us with a grace that is given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You know, um, if we went back in time 5,000 years ago and you saw an old man, I said, no, 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 that, that old guy over there. He said, that one, no, the one right next to him. You saw this old man that was 99 years old and a woman sitting with him, his wife, and she's 80, 89 years old. And if I were to bet you 5,000 years ago that that man and that woman are going to have a baby and that God is going to make of that man and that woman a nation... That nation is going to be the smallest, weakest nation of all the peoples of the earth. And Satan is going to influence all the other peoples to hate that nation, to, destroy it, to, to try to destroy it. And on top of that, God was going to give that nation a set of rules that they, they weren't going to keep. And then God's going to judge them and break some of the branches off, as Romans 11 says, that others might be grafted in. You would not bet a dime that 5,000 years later that that nation would still be around. Yet the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. What about in your life? You say, ah, pff, man, God's not, I'm no, God's not really going to use me to do my... <laughs> the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. If I could bet you... <laughs> That we sinners in here, if you're saved, say, you know what? Don't know how long it's going to be, but we're going to see you in heaven. You might think, Nick Arling, what? <laughs> so I, I see how you get picked on now. You're up front here all the time. You know, you say, I get to serve God with my life? Yeah. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much.